The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Good morning. Well, I invite your attention this morning to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. And we will actually be looking at this morning uh, four truths about the birth of Christ, four truths about the birth of Christ. And I just want to read the scripture with us this morning. John is writing to Christians who are in the midst of false teaching. And 1 John is really about the assurance of our faith. But I want to focus particularly on one verse as we uh, move our hearts towards the Christmas season. And so 1 John 3, 5, and let's read it together. If you'll stand with me, please, as we read this together. And it says this, it says, You know that he, that is Christ, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. You know he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. May God bless the reading of his word, and may we pray now as we ask God to go before us, as we ask him to illuminate our hearts to know his word better. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us, Lord, to know you and help us to know your word. Father, as we look at a very familiar uh, truth, truths, really four of them from this passage, Lord, that you would shore us up in the truth, remind us of your grace, and help us to, to love you where you are. If there's any within the sound of my voice, that they would come to know Christ, Lord. We pray, if they don't already, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is that time of year when kids often ask for different things for Christmas. And there was a story of a little boy who knelt at his bed and said his bedtime prayers. And he said, Lord, bless mommy and daddy, auntie and brother and sister and uncle. And Lord, give us a good day today. And please give me a bike for Christmas. And he said this really loudly. And his mom came into the room and said, son, you don't have to scream God can hear you even if you whisper. And the little boy said, with big eyes, said, Mom, I know God can hear me if I scream or whisper, but only Grandma can't hear, and she has the money to buy me a new bike. <laughs> you know, sometimes we really do, don't we, miss the purpose of Christmas. We really do miss the purpose of Christmas. And, and I just want to be clear here is that when we talk about the meaning of Christmas and talk about what it really is all about, sometimes we do forget, even as adults. And I want to remind you as we get started that Jesus did not primarily come to solve the economic, political, or social problems of the world. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to accrue power. He came to give up his power. He, he didn't come to tell us the answers to the questions of life. He came to be the answer himself. But, to, but this is what he came to do. He came to save sinners. And Isaiah 53, 4 reminds us that surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And so Christmas isn't about some sort of magic 
dust that the Messiah throws out over the world so that everyone will sing Mariah Carey songs. It's about the meekness and majesty, and that is Emmanuel, God with us, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And, and you can't truly celebrate this truth without humbly acknowledging why the birth of Jesus was necessary. So what is the purpose of his birth? How can we keep the focus through the year? I want you to know the big idea today is simply this. The big idea is the thesis of the whole thing, and it's that Jesus came, Jesus came to do what you couldn't do so you could receive what you wouldn't have been able to earn. Look, if you look into the manger and fail to see the sacrificial lamb, you have failed to understand the Christmas story itself. I mean, the mess this world is in doesn't disprove the hope of what Christ came to do. It proves the relevance, rather, of that hope. And the worse things get, the more obvious this should become. So may the downward spiral of our culture gently force us all to turn to this Jesus with an openness of desperation. And so four things, four truths about the birth of Christ that I pray are, 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 are just a balm to our soul this morning. The first, and I want you to see this, is the indisputability. It's a big word. The indisputability means you can't argue with it. The indisputability of the source. Starting with that phrase in 1 John 3, 5. I hope you have your Bible open still. 1 John 3, 5, where it says, you know. Look, as Christians, we believe the Word of God is the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God, which means I, we and I and all of us who are Christians believe that Jesus is fully human and fully God, which means we believe in a virgin birth, which means we believe in the supernaturality of Christianity, that God does things that cannot be explained by the human mind. doesn't mean it's a fairy tale because you can't explain it. doesn't mean anything like that. It just simply means that we believe in a monotheistic reality ordering and defining everything, led by a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God. He's all-powerful. He's all-good. He's everywhere. That is our God. And so he says, you know. Friends, the very thing we need to understand is everyone wants to be sure, to think they have the truth. But what makes us Christians different is that we all know that the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And if you're God's child, you know the truth already. But your security, your, your eternal security, your, your, your identity isn't in your knowledge of the truth, but rather in the grace of God, uh, who is the giver of the truth. It says in Acts 17, 11, one of my favorite verses, that, that the Jews of Thessalonica, they received the word, it says, quote, with all eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Acts 17, 11. So we should know our Bibles so well that it is, it is like a, a funnel through which every truth claim must pass. And when John writes this, as he writes to these people in the midst of Gnosticism, we're not going to chase that rabbit this morning of what that is, but basically, not, in summary, Gnosticism was basically that, that people had secret knowledge about Christ, that people had secret knowledge about God. And unless you were in the inner crowd, unless you were in cahoots with the right people, you wouldn't be able to know that knowledge. But I want you to know the knowledge that John is talking about is publicly available. That's why in Galatians, Paul said that you can clearly see that Jesus Christ was crucified. He was crucified publicly. God always works behind the scenes, yes. He's always doing 10,000 more things, as it were, that we can ever imagine. But I want you to know that when Christ came, his ministry was public. And Jesus was clear that there were some of those who would not understand what he came to do. 
But for those he came to save, for those who understood, for those who got him and got the message, the gospel, the good, amazing news, it changed everything. And so there is a deep, settled conviction in the souls of Christians that the truth of the gospel, the truth about Christ's coming, the truth about everything God is, is settled because it's absolutely from God. But the world says today, and this is a quote from a famous poem, it says, Today there is no day or night. Today there is no right or wrong, wrong or right. Today there is no black or white, only shades of gray. Friends, I want to be very clear here is that when we talk about the indisputability of the source, we are saying, as John says, that you know, that we know the truth of the gospel. And that gospel reminds us that we have the corner on the truth. We have everything we need for life and godliness in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we know for sure that everything is going to pass through him. And I want you to know, John 8, 32, Jesus said this. He said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, John even uses this phrase several times, you know. He says in 1 John 2, 5, he says, by this we know we are in him. 1 John 2, 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have the knowledge. 1 John 2, 21, you know it, because there is no lie is of the truth. 1 John 2.23, and by this we know. 1 John 3.2, we may know when he appears. John assumed that if you're a Christian, that you are ready and know the truth already. You don't have to keep looking for it. You don't have to keep trying to identify it. God has given it to us in his Son. Excuse me. Therefore, it is indisputable. Therefore, it is exactly what he wants it to be. And so, friend, I want you to know this morning that even with all the truth you've come to know and all the ways you've obeyed that truth, you need God's grace today as much as when you first believed. Though grace secures us, though we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, for his glories alone, according to the scripture alone, we must work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. See Philippians 2.12. And press on to know the Lord, Hosea 6, 2 and 3. We must be diligent to present ourselves, as 2 Timothy 2 says, approved workmen to God who do not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So when it comes to the coming of our Savior, it's an indisputable fact because he is the source of truth. That's why, in very practical terms, as we apply this to our lives, we don't believe everything we feel. Your emotions are the greatest liars you know, and I can, I can testify to that as a marathon runner. Not that I'm great at it, but I can tell you that often it is a mental game out there. It's a mental game. It's not a physical reality. My body hurts during the marathon. It's going to hurt. You know that, and you're embracing it. But at the end of the day, a lot of getting through what we call the wall where your body is ready to throw in the towel is just tricking your mind to say, we've done worse than this in training. You've already done this before. And it doesn't mean that we, that we don't experience feelings in this life, but we need to preach the truth to our emotions. And by the power of the Spirit, the truth will begin to change our emotions. Because we know, he says, you know the truth. And in relation to the coming of Christ, we know why he came. He came to save sinners, didn't he? We should know the truth. We should love the truth. We should defend the truth. We should speak the truth. We should speak the truth in love. And we should love people with different perspectives on the truth. But at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Even when people like Pilate come to us and say, huh, Jesus, what is truth? You remember he said that to Jesus when he was interrogating him before the crucifixion? Even when people question whether Jesus can really be the only way to heaven or whatever it is, Christian, you know the truth. Don't run from it. Don't bend it. Don't water it down. Hold to it and you will be secure. He who endures to the end will be saved is what Jesus said. I want you to see that first thing, the four truths about the birth of Christ is the indisputability of the source. The second I want you to see in that next phrase in 1 John 3, 5 is the incarnation of the Son, the incarnation of the Son. It says in 1 John 3, 5 that you know what? That he appeared. You know that he appeared. Well, the, the incarnation of the Son, who's the he? It's, it's Jesus. And the verb here doesn't look ahead but behind. It looks back to 1 John 1, 1, which says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Listen, the entire gospel, the entire Christian faith is built upon the incarnation of Jesus Christ that he did, as John 1 says, he tabernacled among us, or as one paraphrase says, he moved into the neighborhood. And you can't truly celebrate the coming of, the birth of Christ, unless you remind yourself that he appeared. He didn't appear as a half man, half God. He didn't appear as a ghost who was God. He was fully God. He was fully man. And that is a mystery how that can happen. But you can't truly celebrate the birth of Christ without admitting the depth of your need for what he has been born to accomplish on your behalf. The birth of Jesus leaves us with no doubt, Christian, about how seriously he takes sin so we instinctively, that we rather instinctively tend to play or just kind of minimize or, or downplay. But the birth of Jesus equals a desperate human need, but God's glorious divine provision. In other words, the birth of Jesus is a guarantee that God will make good on all of his promises. All those prophecies in the Old Testament. The birth of Jesus proves that God's grace is not just an idea, but rather it's a person. He appeared. The Messiah, Jesus, is the grace of God here on this earth. And let's be real for a second. When, when Jesus appeared, few bowed before him at his birth. Many rejected him during his life, and they mocked him at his death. But someday, Philippians 2 tells us, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, whether above the earth or under the earth, then confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the birth of Jesus Christ, is God's guarantee that he will not let sin and death win in the world or in the hearts of his children. The fact that he appeared, the fact that he incarnated, the incarnation of the Son shows us and guarantees that he will not let sin and death win in a world or in the hearts of his children. And Christian, that is great news. Because if you're fighting sin in your life, there is power in Jesus' name to overcome it. And the birth of Jesus tells us that God was not satisfied with all things as they were to leave us and the world around us in a sin-damaged state. But rather, Jesus is a visible, physical representation about how much the Lord cares for us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so may the miracle of the birth of Jesus, the very fact that he appeared. And friends, he had to appear. He had to come. We'll get more to that into that in, verses, uh, in points 3 and 4. But I want you to know that this should grip you with awe. It should ignite in you joy. 
It should stimulate you to believe and motivate you to live a life of willing worship and surrender. The fact that God appeared, he came down to us, should still blow our minds just like it did the first time we heard about it. Just like a kid who can't believe the the wonder of the things of this world, how much more, Christian, should you be in awe of the fact that your God came down? Buddha didn't. Confucius didn't. Muhammad didn't. Fill-in-the-blank world religion leader did not. Only God in Christ can make these claims. That's point number two. He he, he, you know that he appeared. There's the inscrutability of the source, the incarnation of the Son, and thirdly, I want you to see here in the next phrase, the intention of the Savior. The intention of the Savior. Why did Jesus come? Well, it says, look, open your Bible again. It says, he came in order to take away sins. He came in order to take away sins. Look, the, the birth of Jesus was either a divine, massive overreaction or things were just that bad that this kind of radical intervention was needed. I mean, that's the bottom line. The birth of Jesus demonstrates that God would not be satisfied with just condemning his sinful children, but would greet us with mercy. Why did Jesus come? His mission, Luke 19, 10, he told Zacchaeus, was he came to seek and to save the lost. He came not to be served, but to serve, it says in the Gospels, and to give his life a ransom for many. And the birth of Jesus tells us that that everything we are facing, everything we go through, everything that is ahead of us pales in comparison to what we have in Jesus Christ. Behold, John 129, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. What did Jesus come to do? He came to take your sins. He came to take away the power of sin from our lives. He came to take away the, the slavery that we were bound to, Romans 8 says, that we were slaves to sin, but now we're slaves. We are sons and daughters that are slaves in every happy, joyful sense to the will of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're now sons and daughters of God. But he also came to take away the practice of sin from our lives. And John will argue this. He says in verse 6, if you see there in 1 John 3, 6, it says, No one abides in him, keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either known him or seen him. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to have everything figured out in this life or you won't sin or think things or do things or contemplate things that are not godly. But rather, it reminds us that Jesus has the power not only to forgive our sins, but by the Holy Spirit to allow us to walk in a way that's pleasing to him even in the midst of sin. And the birth of Jesus is the result of God's angry grace. He's angry at what sin has done to this world and the people of this world. And in grace, he sends his son to redeem it. The birth of Jesus was a rescue mission, which means we were caught in a state of sin that we could not get ourselves out of. We were in a pit so deep, there wasn't a rope that could reach us. And the love of God is the motivation for the birth of Jesus, and our sin is the reason. Look, the horrors of sin that happened with Herod when he slaughtered babies, the horrors that now are, are, are happening with sin collided with the glories of God, and the baby in that manger so many years ago is a guarantee that good grace will win. The significance of the disaster of sin is preached loudly by the birth of righteous life, acceptable sacrifice, and victorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The birth of Jesus was all about thrones. He came to dethrone us and enthrone himself in our hearts and live for, so we might live forever. He came in order to take away our sins. That's what he came to do. Do not, Christian, I just want to warn you again, do not let any party slap Jesus on their slogan and say Jesus is in their corner. Jesus is not Republican. He's not Democrat. He's not independent. He's not any political persuasion. He's not any favorite sports team. He doesn't care what your organization is. What he cares about is that we acknowledge him as the only King of Kings and only Lord of Lords. Now, does God care how we work and do things and, and, and how we support those above us and vote? Yeah, sure he does. We do all things to the glory of God. But the point is, is that Christ came with one mission. He didn't come to do anything else but to save us from our sins, to the glory of his Father first and for our good second. So that is what the intention of the Savior, the intention of the Savior I want you to see, lastly, the fourth reason why Jesus' birth is important. The first, fourth fact about it is the impeccability, the impeccability of the sinless. Impeccable means it's perfect. There's no stain. There's no blemish. There's no whatever. It says in the end of verse 5, let's just read it from the start. It says, you know, that was that inscrutability, indisputability, that he appeared in order to take away sins and notice the comma there, and in him there is no sin. In him there is no sin. Friends, the importance of that is simply this, is that at his birth, Jesus was unlike any other baby born, ever born. He was eternal deity joined to sinless humanity. And that means that he was the infinite infant. He was the infinite infant. There's not one drop of saving grace outside of the sinless life and substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was conceived in Mary, God entered the human race. He was eternal deity joined with sinless humanity. He was sovereignty. He was sovereignty with humility. He was omnipotence with weakness. He was truly the wonder of wonders. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. Jesus did not send an angel because an angel is not the creator. Jesus did not send just a good man to die for us. Romans 5 says that may happen, but he came as God himself. Only God himself could save us from himself. And I want you to know today that no one else was born of a virgin. Everyone else has sinned. No one else has died bearing our sins. Everyone may try, but no one else was raised from the dead, only Christ. No one else is seated at the right hand, only Christ. There are some people today, and in fact, a recent Barna study found that nearly three-fourths of Christians are, 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 believe that Jesus sinned at some point. They believe that, that it's a wishful thinking at best to believe that he was sinless. But Christian, you can believe nothing less. You have to hold that Jesus was sinless, that he never did wrong. He, he was impeccable. He was unable to sin. Was he tempted to sin? Yes, he was. In Matthew 4, we clearly see Satan, which who is literally real, coming to him and trying to show forth that Jesus might sin. But I want you to know he could not sin. He did not sin because he was the Lord indeed. And so I want you to know Jesus faced every temptation like we did. 
He walked through every trial like we did. He did everything on this earth. He ate, he slept, he went to the bathroom, he, 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 he was cold, he was hot, he got tired, you know, whatever, fill the blank. He was a human as a human, but he was the God-man. He was fully God as well. And so Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He's virgin-born. He's sinless. He died the substitutionary death. He rose bodily from the grave. He ascended gloriously. He is the sovereign Lord, the coming King, and He is the final judge because He's the only one who can look at us and say, You have sinned, I have not, and I can redeem you. I want you to know when that baby came, that baby was not born like we were. We have the sin of Adam passed through our father's um, uh, loins, as it is, use the old word, passed through our father to us. Sin comes through Adam, but grace and life come through Jesus Christ. Go read Romans chapter 5. So Christian, today, if the sinless Son of God, on a very practical level, Jesus Christ needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how much more do we sinful believers need to be filled? The Spirit of God will lead us. We will mess up. He will guide us. But it's His call is the same as it always is. is be holy, therefore, as I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 this, this statement, he was without sin, is a statement of Christ's qualification to take away sin. Only he was qualified to do it. And it was a statement of Christ's quality that we should be pursuing, that we should try our best to fight, to, to not give in to, and to not honor sin. And, and, and not to do it legalistically, not to do it pharisaically, not to do it as a pat on our backs or to make God look at us better, but to, to, because of what he's done for us. He took away our sins that we live for him. Friends, we love you. And if you're listening to this and you do not have a personal relationship with the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you today that you have sinned. There is no other way to heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You, you have to be going through one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And friend, I want you to know that salvation is open to all. It's not going to church trying hard enough. There's no purgatory after you die, soul sleep. It is heaven. It is hell. The Bible's clear in Hebrews 9.27, and after you die, you face the judgment. Are you prepared for that day? But I want you to know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, friend, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. May God be glorified in that. Let's pray together. Thank you for your time this morning. I pray this has been an encouragement. If you're a Christian, I want you to once again walk out of here knowing, trusting, and believing that not only are you forgiven, but you have every reason to rejoice because God has saved you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. We pray, Lord, that in all things we do, that Christ is lifted high. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you that he came and appeared that we might have our sins taken away. Lord, we love you. We lift you up. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.